You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. Today I want to talk to you about what you're covered in. What are you covered in? So we talked last week a lot about the coat that you are wearing. The coat, what is it that you're wearing? Your coat, that equals your covering, that equals authority, it equals who you are or what you look like. When you walk up, what do people see? What's the coat you're wearing? Is it too small for you? Is it restricting? Is it holding you back from doing what God wants you to do? Is it holding you back from going to the places that you need to go? Are you wearing work clothes and you're headed to the pool? You have to dress for where you want to go. And then as me and Jesse talked about that a little bit this week, it's funny because I told you guys last week, you, you wear, you don't dress for where you've been. You don't dress for where you are, but dress for where you want to go. But really, Jesse brought up this point, you are dressed for where, you want, where you're going. It may not be where you want to go, but you're dressed for where you're going. And if you're not willing to change your jacket, you're just going to keep going in the same place. So you are dressed for where you're going. Make you a little bit nervous. But love should be in every single coat. If we're really Christians, Christ-like, then love should be in every single garment. Every single coat that we put on should have love in it. Look at Colossians 3.12. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. So there's a wardrobe God picked out, but he won't make you wear it. He's not going to force you to put it on and walk around in it. Dress in the wardrobe that God picked out for you. Well, what does it look like? Compassion, kindness, Humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense, forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. Anybody need to work on that? I do. Forgive just as quick and complete as Jesus forgave me. Before I changed my ways, before what scripture tells us that while we were dead in sin, while we were lost, then Christ died for us. In that moment, when we were at our worst, He died for us. Wait, and I'm supposed to forgive in that way before they've made it right? Before that. We have to forgive if we want to look like Jesus. Man, Jesus forgave the guys as he was hanging on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. The dudes that just ripped out his beard and beat him all night and whipped him and ripped off his coat. His clothes, remember, they rolled dice. They were were betting on who got to keep Jesus' coat. He didn't need that coat anymore. He graduated that one. He was going to something bigger. But he forgave them. 
while they were doing it. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We want to look like him. We got to forgive just like he forgave us. And regardless of what else you put on, I mean, you could put on any of that. That's great. But regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. You say, I don't care what giftings and talents and callings and, and where God leads you or what he, all this stuff's good and you can pick one or two of these, but never be without love. Because if you are, you're not a good representation of God. We're supposed to look like God and God is love. So if you're without love, then I don't care how powerful you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how beautiful you are. If you got love, if you don't have love, you're like a clanging cymbal, Paul said. Never be without love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Don't dress for where you came from. Because if you do that, you'll be constantly looking backwards, not looking forward into the big life that God has for you. So what coat are you wearing? We talked about a lot already. But today I want to ask you, whose coat are you holding? You could be a coat rack. You might be holding some other coats. You might be holding somebody's coat. Whose coat are you holding? Or who are you serving? Remember Elisha, the great prophet? He served Elijah. He poured water on the hands of Elijah. He washed his hands. He followed him around and served him. He didn't get to do the miracles. He didn't get to do all this stuff for years and years. He just followed Elijah around serving him. And then guess what? He got to wear the coat. He got the mantle. When Elijah got called up to heaven, the mantle came floating down, the coat, the call, the purpose, and he got to put it on. But why? Because he served Elijah. He followed him around and he served him. That's all he did. He got the cloak. He got the mantle. Well, what are you saying? Find someone that is doing what you want to do. And wearing a similar coat to the one that you want to wear. And serve them. Take advice from them. Follow them around. Annoy them. <laughs> Call them. I went in Walmart earlier this week. And uh, I was standing there about to buy a thing of protein powder. And this really skinny black guy came up to me and said, excuse me, sir. I said, hey, what's up? And he said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He said, how do I gain weight? Like, I want to gain, and at first I was kind of offended by that. <laughs> oh, you picked the fat guy to ask how to gain weight. <laughs> I sucked in my stomach and tried to poke out my chest a little bit, and I told myself, he's talking about muscle. <laughs> Uh, he said, I, I'm trying, I'm working out and I'm trying to build muscle, but look at me. And he held up his arm and I mean, this dude was just skinny. All right. And then he said something kind of funny. He said to me, I've got a friend 
And he's telling me everything I need to do and everything I need to eat and what kind of protein I need to eat, but he's skinny. I'd rather hear it from somebody like you. Like he's got all, you, you ever met somebody like that? Like the people that know about the best diets are usually overweight or people that like, so he's got this little skinny friend telling him what he needs to do to gain weight and he just wasn't trusting it. Like, no, I'm going to find somebody big and ask them how to get big. And so I told him, told him how to get big. Well, what are you saying? Find somebody that is where you want to be. And ask them how they got there. Watch how they live their life. Well, look at that person. And I can be talking about in ministry and in business and in relationships. And Man, we're called as Christians to be under people and over people. We're supposed to lead, but we're also supposed to follow. And who you're following determines where you're headed. So as we're talking about what coat you put on, you need to think about whose coat you're holding, who you're serving, who you're following, because that's also going to determine where you end up. Get under somebody that'll push you. Get a father. And remember, we saw in Scripture that you got 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers. A father is someone that will invest and not look for anything in return. They will invest in you. They'll pour into you. That can be spiritually, financially, whatever. But they will invest without looking for anything in return. Get a father. Get a mentor. Proper alignment with authority will take you places that you could never go on your own. Proper alignment. Uh, when we had that brawl for a cause at the fight, and we got to do it down on the field at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and I had to be there early, and we did the weigh-ins earlier that day, and then we got there early, and I got this pass to go back into the the Falcons locker room area and we could come out the tunnel. And then as other people started getting there, they put up this little barricade and they had security there. And the general population, the crowd was not allowed past that. But since I was a, since I was one of the fighters that night, I was allowed to go past that. Well, when Joe got there, Joe was my trainer well, when Joe got there, he went to go back there. But guess what? They wouldn't let Joe just walk back there. I had to walk over there with him in security. Well, who's this? Who's this? And I said, oh, I'm one of the fighters, and this is my trainer. Oh, well, then we'll have to get him. We'll get him a card. We'll get him a, I forgot what it was, a bracelet or a card or something to say that he can go. And then guess what? Joe got to go back there because proper alignment. I can go places and I can go out there and jump in our car in our journey and I can go places, but every time I jump on I-20 between Bremen and Villarica, I'm not going places very fast because of the traffic and the road construction here for the past 17 years or however long it's been, I'm not sure. 
But I heard they're going to finish up by the year 2030. So that's good news. Uh, Anyways, I can get in my car and I can go to Douglasville, but it might take me a long time. Now, if I had an emergency, like my wife in the car who was, say, pregnant, about to have a baby, and I'm trying to get along and, and a policeman comes up and says, hey, what are you doing? You can't go around these cars. Oh, there's an emergency. Follow me. And he flips on his blue light and he takes off down the side and he tells me I can follow him. Then getting in proper alignment with the authorities is going to take me places that I can't go on my own. I'm going to get there a whole lot faster. Why? Because I got behind somebody that has more authority than me. I got behind somebody that's allowed to go where I want to go, and they can get there a whole lot faster than me. And all the obstacles kind of fade away because of proper alignment with authority. It matters who you place yourself under. Get under somebody. Get a father. Get a mentor. Get in line. Whose code are you holding? Think about it. Look at Mark 5.21. We'll talk about authority for just a minute. This is going to be a familiar story, but I believe we're going to see something. We're going to see something that I haven't seen, and I've preached this story before, but uh, I saw something cool this week. Mark 5.21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. So the synagogue, that was their church. This was one of their pastors, one of the rulers in the synagogue. This was an important man back then, Jairus. And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter, she lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him, and thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse, No matter what she tried, her situation just got worse and worse and worse. You ever felt like that? God, it doesn't matter what I tried. Things just keep getting worse. I've tried this. I've tried that. I went to him. I went to her. I went to... Seems like things are getting worse. That's where she was. See, this story is about two people. And you can't get much different than these two. He had money and power and he was a leader in the synagogue and the church and She was unclean. She wasn't even allowed to go to the church. She wasn't even supposed to be in public and touching people because of her disease. She was shunned. People wouldn't have even talked to her. Just the fact that he was a man, she was a woman. These these were pretty opposite people. We got his name, O.J., Jairus. We don't even know her name. He was driving the bins. She was riding the bus. He was eating steak and she was eating top ramen. These people were, these were completely different people. 
and they're put in the same story. He was respected and she was shunned. We're going to come back to that in a minute because they did have something in common. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind. Wait, she's not even supposed to be touching people, around people. She's pressing through the crowd to get to Jesus. Why? Because she was desperate. Sometimes you have to come to a place of desperation. You have to push where you're not supposed to be. And she touched his garment or his coat, his outer garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. How do you see his authority? You notice Jairus said, if he comes and lays hands on my daughter, she'll be healed. That's because he was a leader in the church, and that's how it was a good Pentecostal church, and he thought to get a healing, you had to lay hands on. Right? I mean, she said, if I can just touch him, I'll be healed. There was another guy that we're not going to look at his story, but the centurion, when he came to Jesus, Jesus said, okay, I'll come. And he said, no, my servant's sick, but hey, it, I'm a man under authority. I'm over people. I'm under people. If you just say it, he'll be healed. And Jesus was like, wow, I hadn't seen this much faith in all of Israel. Done. He's healed. So she said, if I could just touch his clothes, I'll be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press, the huge crowd of people pressing all around him, and said, who touched my clothes or my coat? Who touched me? Who was it? And his disciples said unto him, thou seest the multitude thronging thee. And sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. She came and told him all the truth, King James says. Message Bible says she gave him the whole story. One translation says that she told him everything that had ever happened to her. My Lord, I hope he had a comfortable seat. Man, sometimes it takes Jesse an hour to tell me everything that happened on a trip to Walmart. What if a woman caught you and told you everything that ever happened to her? You better clear your schedule. You're going to be there for a minute. I don't even care if she's a dull woman that ain't ever had hardly anything's ever happened to her. It's still going to take a while. Right? It's going to take a long time. So, while Jesus is sitting there listening to everything that ever happened to this woman in her whole entire life, how you think J. Iris felt? Come on, man. I I was in line first. 
I got to him first. My daughter's dying. This old woman who, I don't, she's lived her life. I got a little girl at home, and I got there first. And you said you would come help, and you're sitting there just, nah, 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 nah. Come on, Peter, you run that mouth. I've heard you're a big mouth. Well, tell your boy, let's go. Let's get out of here. What? Did, oh, my goodness. Now, here we go. We're talking about back when I was six years old. Oh, my daughter's dying. Look what happens. Verse 34 says, And he said unto her daughter, This is the first time Jesus got to talk. It's been a while. All he said was, Who touched me? And she told him her whole entire story. And then Jesus finally gets to speak. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? It's too late. He didn't come on time. Good for her that she got healed, but your daughter's dead, so you might as well give up. What's the matter? Come on. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid. Only believe. What's Jesus saying to him? Don't let fear take over. Because we come to these moments in life where fear will take over if we let it. We have to make a conscious decision not to let fear take over. And Jesus said to him, hey, 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 don't be afraid. Hey, believe. Just believe. Like, I'm losing you. I'm losing. No. Hey, hey. Don't be afraid. Fear is about to try to take over. And he suffered no man to follow him save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Jesus culled the herd. He narrowed down the pack. He didn't even let all the disciples come with him. He said, nah, for this one, I'm going to only need you, you, and you, you guys come. And he cometh into the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the trumpet. And them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead but asleep. And they laughed him to scorn. They started making fun of him. They were laughing at him, calling him that. Are you kidding? She's dead. We know a dead person when we see it. Look, the machine flatlined over there. Who you think you are telling us she's not dead? She's gone. But when he had put them all out, when he had put them all out, if you look this up, you know, this was written in Greek. Um, and most of the commentaries and how it's worded suggest that Jesus and them three disciples he decided to take with him, they literally put them out. They didn't say, hey, it'd be, would y'all leave? They put hands on them and showed them the door. Get out. Leave. And I know that might mess with some of your theology. because You think, he's a good, good father. And he is. 
But at some times, you have to put some things out if you want to see the miracle, if you want to see the, the healing. So what he put them out. He taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, and he entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and he said unto her, Talutha kum, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose, and she walked. For she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. And he commanded that they take her to Chick-fil-A. Eat some of God's chicken. So, let's talk for a minute about a few things that I noticed there. Number one, in verse 40, he put them out. And there are some things that you need to put out. Doubt and negativity and unbelief. The atmosphere is very important. The atmosphere of your life, the atmosphere that you create every single day, the atmosphere that you create in your truck on the way to work, the atmosphere that you create in your house, in your home, in your life, the atmosphere is very important. And there are some things that you need to put out as you put on this new jacket. You've got to put out the fear, the negativity, the things that don't believe. When it's a toxic environment, seeds can't grow. Here's your word. You've been praying that your dream, your fruit, your vision, your ministry would get up. It would rise up like my falcons are going to today. But until you put those other things out and create an atmosphere of trust and belief... Until you put on a new coat, it's not going to happen. Do you know you don't have to tell everybody everything? It's just a good piece of advice for some of you. <laughs> when God tells you something and gives you a dream and a vision, you don't go run and tell it to everybody. Because there's a whole bunch of people that are going to laugh you to scorn, as King James says it there. They're going to make fun of you and tell you why it's impossible, and they're going to talk you right out of what God wants to do. Quick. Don't tell everything to everybody. It's not smart. Just let them see. All them people that were laughing and making fun, guess what they probably did when the little girl came walking out of the house headed to Chick-fil-A? Whoop! When you fast forward, they might have been some of the ones throwing down palm branches in front of Jesus, worshiping him later on in the story. We don't know. But they were probably believers after that. Let them see. But you got to put some people out. You know those people that can just light up a room when they leave it? <laughs> them. You need to put them out. <laughs> So why are these two in the same story? This is one thing I never really noticed before when I preached this story, but she's had that issue for 12 years, and this little girl was 12 years old. 
So, so right here is where we get the clip in the movie, and it says, 12 years earlier, and it shows a hospital. And Jairus and his wife are walking out with their beautiful baby girl and these huge smiles on their face, and they're like, we got the promise. We got the daughter that God gave us. Yay. And on that same day, this woman's walking out devastated because she's just been diagnosed with a disease that's uncurable. Twelve years earlier, one got brokenness, one got promise. But over the last 12 years, life's brought them back to the same place looking for the same thing. They both came to Jesus and they both need a miracle. Both of them. Now, it's cool because we already read the story and we saw that the little girl got raised from the dead. But remember when I was talking about old Jairus when he was probably getting annoyed about the crowd and trying to clear away, And then he's waiting on this woman who jumped in front of his daughter and got her healing. And his daughter went ahead and died and it's not coming. You ever been there? How about on a job when somebody else got promoted when you were there first? And they jumped you and things are going great for them. And I'm real happy that you got what you wanted and you got your healing. But I've been asking God for this for a long time before you. And I was here working hard. And now I don't get what I'm asking for. I'm I'm so happy for you, woman. But what about my daughter? Hey, I'm so happy to get to keep going to my friends' weddings. But what about my spouse that I've been looking for? And being faithful and waiting for. Hey, you ever felt like... Jairus might have felt. Hey, I'm so happy that y'all can just have as many babies as you want, but what about me when I've been praying for... What is it? Guess what? They both came looking for healing. And Jairus got a resurrection. See, he got something more powerful than a healing. But there was a waiting process. It was in the right timing. So these two, for 12 years, we rewind 12 years, and Jesus would have been about 18. When the little girl was born and the lady was diagnosed. But you know the number 12, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to realize that the number 12, as you read through the Bible, you're going to see that number pop up a lot. The 12 tribes of Israel were all, you know, Abraham, the father of our faith. And then he had Isaac, the son of promise. Then Isaac had Jacob the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, he would wear a breastplate that had 12 stones, precious stones on it that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. The number 12 in the Bible represents power and authority. And his power and authority, remember we're talking about alignment and whose coats you're holding. It's power and authority. It represents the power and authority. And then I think it's no coincidence that when Jesus came and was born as a man, 
that the first time we see him in the synagogue, the first time we see Jesus going to the church was when he was 12 years old. And his parents found him in there, and then it says that the religious leaders and scholars were astonished at his wisdom and understanding, power and authority. And then you fast forward a little bit more than that. When Jesus turned 30 and he got to go around and pick his crew, his road dogs, his boys that were going to be with him for ministry, how many did he pick? Twelve. I'd have picked 11. He said, nah, come on, Judas, I need a hater. And he went with 12. (laughs) Power and authority. Jairus thought things were good all these 12 years, but something hit him that he couldn't handle. He couldn't fix. The woman, on the other hand, she tried everything. She'd thrown all the money she had at it. She had tried different doctors and physicians. She tried everything, and nothing worked. So she was at the end of the rope and desperate. But both of them needed power. And authority. And they both came to Jesus looking for the same thing. It is impossible to live life in a straight line and not be connected to other people. Those two couldn't have been more different, but it's 12 years for her and 12 years for the little girl and We're more like links. We're all connected. It doesn't matter what race or gender. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have. All your labels, they don't matter when you're seeking healing, when you seek the answer, when you're running to Jesus. You end up at the same place, at his feet. It's not an accident. That it was 12 years. The number 12 is power and authority. Twelve, the number of power and authority. Your awareness or alignment with his authority will determine what you receive. Remember the scripture, seek and you will find. What are you looking for? I told you guys a story last week about somebody that came into church and one was looking for God and looking for good and they found God and they found good and the other person came into the same service with a negative attitude because they didn't say get out to the negativity and all the things that were going on in their mind and they got what they were looking for. A lot of problems with the church they found. Seek and you will find. Look for good. Look for God. What do you believe? Because it determines what you receive. Your faith or your trust must be tied to something. It has to be. You don't stand on a boat and just chunk an anchor out into the water not tied to anything. What would be the point? Your faith is tied to something. Your trust, your belief. It can be tied to you, but good luck with that. 
because you're going to run up against something that you can't handle. Somewhere, sometime in life, you'll hit something you can't handle. And if you're not in proper alignment with the proper authority or something bigger and stronger than you, if you've got it tied to you, then when you run into something you can't handle, your faith goes out the window. Some people, you can tie it to nothing, not believe or trust in anything. You can tie it to a business or a man or a pastor or Donald Trump. But I don't recommend tying your faith to any of that. This will make your coat or your outcome different. If you question or challenge the authority, then you will have faith problems. Always. Lots of people have left our church um, because they didn't trust my authority in different ways. Either you're too young, you're not qualified, you're you're not your own person, you can't think for yourself, you're all these all different things, all different ways. You're but because they didn't trust my authority, they weren't willing to align with it so they didn't have the faith or the trust to walk it out. You know, it's the same like when you're on the phone with somebody and you're trying to get something worked out like an insurance claim. It's so peaceful and brings so much joy into your life, something like that. And you go round and round with a person and then you finally say, let me speak to your manager. What are you doing? You don't trust the authority of the person you're talking to. You're done at that level. You're looking for a higher authority that can make things happen. We're done talking on this level. It's being aligned with the proper authority. How you see God and His authority in your life. So, I know this is, this is getting long, so I was going to read you this story in Acts. But I'll just kind of tell you, tell you what happens so that we can wrap it up. So I think this is important. Um, there was a guy that a lot of you have probably heard of. His name was Stephen. And you can go this week, let that be your homework, go read about him in Acts like 6 and 7. Go read that. But after Jesus died on the cross, the church was growing and getting big. And, and they needed help doing like practical things like feeding people and the widows weren't getting food they were getting bullied and only people with husbands were getting all the food and stuff and they were coming to the church saying there's a problem i know y'all are praying and preaching good and stuff but you know we need somebody to help feed people and do this practical stuff so they say here's what we're going to do we'll appoint seven guys and Stephen will end up being the chief one of them um and they were pretty much lunch men like the lunch lady at school and they were supposed to make sure everybody got what they were supposed to get, and they were going to serve people and wait tables and just do whatever needed to be done. They were just going to serve. They said, make sure you find honest people that are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. 
and we're going to appoint them as deacons. That's where we get deacons that we have in churches now, that they will serve and do the practical needs of the body. And Stephen was so good at it, and he was so full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and go read it. It tells you that he was a man of integrity, and he just started serving and waiting tables and serving on people. And then he was praying for people when they were coming to eat, and they were getting healed. And he was preaching, and he was letting his life be a light. Didn't matter where he was put. It didn't matter that he wasn't called to be one of the apostles. He wasn't called to be a worldwide evangelist and go win Asia for this new Jesus Christian movement. No. They said, Stephen, here's your big awesome call. We need you to wait tables and mop floors. I ain't no lunch lady. I'll go back to Judaism. No, that wasn't his attitude at all. He said, yes, thank you. Gladly. I'll serve people. And I'll pray for them. And I'll speak to them. And he did. So much so that he got noticed by the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin. And they were getting upset. And they were getting nervous about this guy. Like, he's getting too much power. He's full of the Holy Ghost. So they went and bribed people and paid people money to lie about him. And say that he's cursing Moses and he's going against God and he's going against the law and Judaism and things that were illegal then. And we'll bring him in before the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. It was like their Supreme Court. And they had paid witnesses to lie on Stephen. And so they bring him in and the witnesses that they paid stood up and lied. And it was all just a big lie. And then they say, you got anything to say? And where Stephen was unqualified, he's just a lunch man. Stephen stood up and brought one of the best messages you see in Scripture. Go read it. It's in Acts 7. Stephen stands up and he brings this big message and then he wraps up his message with boldness and courage in the face of the most powerful men in his nation. And he called, man, he... Stephen was letting him have it. Uh, he said at the end, after he wrapped up his message, he preached about God and Jesus, and then he wraps up his message with, uh, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. Man, you're just like your daddy. You won't even change coats. Y'all won't hear this new gospel. Y'all won't move on. You won't see the Holy Spirit and God moving. You're just stuck in the same old coat that your daddy had on. Trapped in the same old addictions that your daddy was trapped in. You're not willing to move on. Well, that didn't go over too well. They got mad. Verse 54 in chapter 7, verse 54, says, after he got done saying all that, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed out on him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Ghost, this is what somebody full of the Holy Ghost does, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open." And the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice. And they stopped their ears. 
and they ran upon him in one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet whose name was Saul. They took off their coats. Some translations say that Saul held their coats. Saul stood by and held their coats while they stoned Stephen to death. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That sounds familiar. It, sound what, it sounds like what Jesus said on the cross. Don't, don't lay this to their charge. And Saul stood there holding the coats. What are you wearing? Is it the coat of fear? Are you wearing the coat of divorce or the coat of overweight or the coat of shame or pride or the coat of many colors? Or are you wearing the coat of freedom, coat of power, coat of authority, generosity? What about love? Is that in your coat? And whose coat are you holding? Saul stood there holding those men's coats so that they would have full range of motion to throw those rocks. Are you enabling someone else to hate? Are you enabling an addiction in somebody's life? Are you telling jokes that fuel someone's hate? Are you looking at things you shouldn't look at on the internet, which enables and fuels human trafficking? That's not me. I'm not doing it. I didn't throw the rocks. But you're holding the coats. You know what your boss is doing isn't right, but you need the paycheck, so you turn a blind eye. You're holding his coat. You know of somebody that's being abused, but you don't do anything? You're holding the coat of the abuser. And no, you're not the one doing it. But if you look on in Acts 8 and 3 and in Acts 9, 1, you see Saul, after holding their coats, he became a champion for killing Christians. For locking them up, throwing them in jails, and mothers and fathers. And he was going and getting anybody that was following Jesus. And he was killing them. Slaughtering them. If you hold the coats or serve the cause long enough, you will become a champion for whatever you serve. It's not me. It will be. Give it a few more years. If you won't slay that thing, if you stand there and keep holding those coats, you'll be the champion of whatever you serve. Pay attention to whose coats you're holding. And the last thought I had to close it out was, 
said that when Stephen was getting hit with those stones, that he looked up and heaven opened and he saw Jesus standing. Well, every time in Scripture we see it talk about Jesus after the cross, Jesus was sitting. Jesus is seated. He said, we will be seated with him in heavenly places. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father as a sign that it is finished. The work is done. Jesus came to earth. He did the work on the cross. He went to hell. He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And then he got to be seated. He was sitting down resting because the work is finished. So every time we hear it talk about Jesus in heaven, he's seated. And for Stephen, Stephen was the first martyr, the first one killed for being a Christian. And it says he looked up to heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And there's several different, um, some debate, a few people think different reasons. One is in the Sanhedrin, their Supreme Court, if you were there as a a character witness for somebody and you were going to say like, yeah, that's a good person, you would stand on their behalf. So some people say that since the other people were bribed to say lies about Stephen, that Jesus was standing on his behalf. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. But as I studied it and prayed and thought about it, I, I thought about something that happened a few weeks ago. Um, my son, Sky, he's 10 years old, and he's a good football player. And we were playing a team that's maybe one of the best teams in 9 and 10. Carrollton Gold had a really good team this year. They were just, they were good. And we were playing them in Carrollton. And Sky's job on that game on defense was to get on the line, get in the backfield and disrupt the plays, mess them up. And he was doing a pretty good job of it. And everybody was cheering. And one play in particular, Sky gets up on the line And there are two blockers that line up in front of him. And Scott tells us later that they're talking back and forth. And and one of them's like, yeah, uh, coach said somebody's got to pick up number 10. Scott's number 10. Somebody's got to block him. You got him or I got him. No, I'm supposed to go do this assignment. No, you block him. No, you block him. They're back and forth on who's going to pick up Scott. Well, while these two jokers are arguing back and forth, the ball moved, snapped. As soon as the ball snapped, Scott was watching the ball. As soon as it snapped... He shot right in between them, untouched. Neither one of them got him because they were sitting there arguing, and once he got past them, he's gone. He's fast. Straight line, untouched at the quarterback's blind side as he drops back for a pass play. Sky had a call from a coach on what his job was. He had a purpose and a reason And he saw in the future what he was supposed to do. And as he came through those blockers, untouched, me, his father in the stands, I already knew what was about to happen. I stood to my feet and was screaming at the top of my lungs. Yeah! Oh! He still hadn't even got to the guy. 
already knew. Then, before he gets there, I'm yelling, Look at Sky! Get him, Sky! Get him, Sky! So that everybody else out there, no mistake was made. Stop looking at receivers. Stop looking downfield. Stop looking at them linemen holding and battling in the middle. You want to see what's really about to happen? You better focus your attention on Sky because he's about to walk out the call that is placed on his life in this moment. He's about to fully commit and obey. And nothing will stop him. I mean, he got about 10 feet away from that quarterback and he did a Superman dive and completely left both feet flying in the air. Caught him in a headlock. I think he was trying to prove a point or something. As he catches him in a headlock, he twists like he's doing an alligator roll and they did like a corkscrew in the air with the quarterback and they hit the ground and slid. And the crowd's cheering and freaking out and going crazy and and whatever. And I felt super proud because that's my kid. And he did what he was supposed to do. And I can't help but imagine Jesus looking at Stephen saying, that's why I did this. That's why I suffered on earth. So that they could have what I have and he's got it. And he's unblocked. Nothing's going to stop him. He's running towards his purpose hard. He's about to do what I created him to do. I'm standing to my feet because that's my boy. Everybody, hey angels, hey dad, look, it worked. He's not afraid of death. He's not afraid of the Sanhedrin. He's not afraid of pain. He got it. And Saul saw that even though he was holding the wrong coats. And he became Paul and he wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thanks for speaking to us. God, help each one of us to examine the coat that we are wearing. Examine who we are and how we present ourselves to the world. God, help us if we've got a, a small jacket on that's restricting us and keeping us from growing. God, today help us to examine the coats that we're holding because I don't want to enable people for death. God, I want to be a picture of courage like Stephen. God, help us to forgive, to let go of bitterness and anger and hate. It's just not worth it, and it doesn't look like you. Help us to never leave home without love in our hearts and on our face. Because we want to look like you, Dad. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for teaching us and pushing us and guiding us. It's a privilege and an honor to be part of your family. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.